Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot... For the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, hey there, friend. Thanks for coming by. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, Jeff. Good news and bad news tonight. Bad news first, right? Well, Drew cannot be with us. I'm not at liberty to tell you why, but I'll say this much. If you've ever wondered how many parking tickets you can rip up before they throw you in jail, it's, uh... 437 thereabouts. Ah, hey there, Chester. Alright, alright, all right. oh, oh, get that, that, uh, uh, alright, good boy, good boy, good alligator, okay, alright, that's it. All right. No, no, down, alright, get, get out of here, get. Uh, how about a cat, you know? Alright, come on in. Just a little afrin, folks. So smoke them if you got them and drink those glasses to the bottom. Because the show must go on. But first, the rigmarole. Smoke them if you got them and drink your glasses to the bottom. God, that dude has got such a deep voice. Damn, Drew. Oh, crap. Is this thing on? Hey, you're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. And when you get done with this important task... Check out Fear from the Heartland on this very channel, hosted by Drew's best narrator friend, yours truly, Paul J. McSorley. Well, no deep voice tonight, Paul, but we're here. Check out Fear from the Heartland if you haven't already, folks. We appreciate it. Paul's the nicest guy in the business. Pays all his parking tickets right on time. Hmm. So, tonight I've got one of my own for you. So without further ado, I present to you from author Jeff Sturdivant, yours truly, Moish Mendelstein, Private Eye. Yes, sir. Whoever once said, the test of a man's character is what he does when he's alone. Well... 
you must have had a life an awful lot like mine. Get up, shave, go to work, sit down, go home, shave again, drink yourself stupid, shave whatever else suits my mood, then pass out in a mess of Barbasol and the beverage of the evening. In my case last night, the can of brown shoe polish I ate, for lack of any more booze in the house, or money to buy it with. Incidentally, I shaved my balls. Idle hands is the thing. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of demand for detectives these days. At least old, washed-up ones like me, who've never really solved much of anything. Gone are the days of Polaroid-packing private eyes, snapping candid photos of philandering spouses. With the GPSs and the phones and palm pilots and all that, any Tom, Dick, or Harry can track their wayward wives to their boss's house or the hourly truck stop or wherever they're doing their particular unsavories. And with all the information on the internet, who needs a second-rate private dick to dig up all the details they need to do their dirty business. No one, that's who. And if they did, they'd most likely go to someone more reputable, not some washed-up old Jew with pills on the knees and elbows of his worn-out, only suit. Not to mention a brown shoe polish stain on his face that looks vaguely like the Ivory Coast, with the tip of my nose somewhere in the sub-Saharan. I leaned back in my chair and crossed my feet on the desktop. No files or papers in danger of being jostled. I opened the bottom drawer and reached for my bottle of bourbon. Old Saba's cough medicine. Just for a little toot to get myself through the morning. It was empty, but I knew that already. I pulled off the cap and positioned the mouth of the bottle against the circumference of my right nostril. A near-perfect fit closed my left and inhaled deeply. Then I capped the bottle and just sat there a minute waiting to sneeze. It felt like it was building for a moment, but the feeling abated. Crushed, I put the bottle back in the drawer and sat there feeling sorry for myself. I'll tell ya. Whoever once said, to whom much is given, much is expected, he'd probably been a washed-up detective himself. Or maybe a stripper who'd lost a tit something along those lines. Yes, sir, to whom much is given, etc. If only someone would give me something, I'd be right on top of it. Just then, an unusual sound startled a fart out of me, nearly sent me tumbling out of my chair. Not the fart that sent me tumbling, but the shock of hearing the phone ring. An unusual sound indeed. Once I got my bearings, I let it ring a couple of times to make sure the caller knew I was important. Then I answered it. <clears throat> Moish Mendelstein, private eye. Mr. Mendelstein. Oh, thank God you answered. It was a dame by the sound of her. In dire circumstances. A real damsel in distress. Part of me wanted to tell her she's got the wrong guy. Maybe to call 911 or something. But no, that wasn't why I got into this business. I'm a vested member of the private sector, the kind of guy who scratches where daddy government can't quite reach. Kings have long arms, they say. Well, guys like me, we've got real proddy fingers. What seems to be the problem is... Boobinson. Babs Boobinson. Very well, Miss Boobinson. What can I... It's my... It's something very important to me. It's gone missing. It's been stolen, I just know it. And I need your help to get it back. I need... Have you told the authorities? No, of course not. I can't use the police. I need someone real. Someone I can trust. She was in quite the tizzy. That much was obvious. Privately, I pictured the stripper with the missing tit I'd imagined earlier. That's what she sounded like to me. A situation where the stakes were high and the details were sensitive. Sounds serious. What is it that was stolen from you, Miss Boobinson? I... I don't want to discuss it over the phone. I'll have to meet you in person. As soon as possible. 
I paused. Let me see if I can fit you into my schedule. Let's see. I stuck my hand in the waste basket and kind of rustled around with a few pages of newspaper. I want to see you right now, she said. Um, right now? I'm right outside your building, by the phone booth. The phone booth. I swung the chair around and took a discreet peek between the slats of the blinds. There was no avoiding eye contact. There she was, staring right back up at me with her big green peepers and a healthy helping of cleavage to boot. One thing for sure, whatever she was missing, it wasn't a tit. Both of those were present and accounted for. And as for me, I could see I was present and had attention myself. She waved at me, her aforementioned anatomy waving along with a kind of momentous delay. And by momentous, I'm referring to the effect of the momentum involved, kind of following the motion of her arm, but with a weighty pendulousness. I gave her the nod and in she came, bouncing all the way to the door. I could hear the gal's high heels clicking and clacking all the way up three flights of stairs. And I hope that homeless guy wasn't sleeping on the landing just now, because if he was, he was apt to catch one of those high heels smack dab in the crotch. I'd nearly pulled a muscle myself trying to step over the old coot yesterday. I opened the door as soon as I saw her lovely silhouette in the frosted glass window. And there she stood, like two beautiful angels. Topped with a very lovely lady. Like a triumvirate of... Nice. Oh, Mr. Mendelstein, I'm so glad to see you. I'm not so disappointed myself. There's something on your face there. Is that shoe polish? It just so happens it is. I found myself in a bit of a scuffle on a recent job, see? Took a well-polished boot to the face. My God, such a dangerous line of work, I'm sure. I waved it off. That's a part of the job with which I'm well acquainted. Violence. You throw yourself in the Cuisinart, it's only a matter of time before someone wants to mix it up. I'm so sorry. Hey, you should see the other guy. And I say that as a figure of speech, because you really shouldn't. It's never a pretty view on the receiving end of my patented judo chop. Even the coroner threw up when he came to drag him to the morgue. Oh my. Ah, it's all in a day's work, Miss Boobinson. One day you're tracking down some aristocrat's lost hamster. The next day you're wearing a fake mustache and a bulletproof bustier. And you're flamethrowering a pot of Panamanian drug dealers. How intriguing. I'm so intriguing, Miss Boobinson, I could keep you wrapped for days. And if need be, I could even find your lost hamster. It's been a long time since any man has found my hamster. Ms. Boobinson, is that some kind of euphemism? No, no. Just a little birthmark. She adjusted her top. The sexual tension in the room was so thick, you could cut it with one of those egg-slicing gadgets and arrange the slices artistically on your cob salad with some buttermilk ranch dressing and some croutons. I'm in a terrible predicament, Mr. Mendelstein. You've got to help me. All right, darling. You just come on inside and have a seat and tell me all about it. So I led the lady inside and took the record player off the chair in front of my desk and set it down on the floor and motioned for her to have a seat. Feel free to prop your legs right up on the desk if you want. Make yourself right at home. Thank you, Mr. Mendelstein. She sat down and crossed her legs instead. I decided not to push the issue. I sat in my own chair and started rolling up the cuffs of my shirt. So, you say someone stole something from you. Something important. Please, go on. It's my ex-boyfriend, Mr. Mendelstein. He's stolen something terribly important to me. Perhaps the most important thing I own of all. My heart, Mr. Mendelstein. Your... Heart, Miss Boobinson? 
I took the chance to stare openly at her cleavage as though out of professional concern. Oh, pardon me, she said. That must have sounded awfully sentimental. It's a, a pendant is what I mean. A heart-shaped pendant given to me by my late mother. I'm terribly sorry to hear that, Miss Boobinson. How did she pass, if you don't mind me asking? It was a terrible accident, she said. My mother had a tendency to sway when it was windy. She was out on a fishing boat one day, and between the breeze and the listing of the waves, she lost her balance and fell overboard. My God, I said. And no one was able to rescue her? She had no trouble floating, said the emotional Boobinson. But before anyone could get to her, she was gobbled up by a giant squid. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. A solitary tear dripped down the damsel's cheek, dangled there a moment, then loosed its grip on the edge of her chin and plummeted onto the heaving flesh of her left breast. Her left, my right. And there it sat, a precarious bead of moisture wobbling on the very apex of Miss Boobinson's magnificent bosom, unsure whether to roll right or left. My God, that's terrible, I said, grabbing a tissue from my desk and hurrying over to dab it. In a race against gravity, I hurled myself into her cleavage and caught the little drop before it disappeared between them forever. It must have struck her as odd, or maybe just took her mind off the tragedy suddenly because... An unusual look came across her face just then. Oh, Mr. Mendelstein. Now, pardon me, Miss Boobinson. I just can't stand to see a woman in distress. Oh, quite all right. Where was I? I stuffed the tissue in my pocket and leaned against the desk. Debonair-like. The heart. Tell me about this pendant, Miss Boobinson. As you can imagine, it has great sentimental value to me. I feel absolutely naked without it. You mentioned your ex-boyfriend? Are you absolutely sure about that? I'm positive, Mr. Mendelstein. He's the only one who had any access to it. That's not what I meant, Miss Boobinson. I meant you're sure he's an ex-boyfriend? Well, yes, Mr. Mendelstein. I've never been so through with a man in my life as I am with him. He's a thief and a cheat and a... Are you flirting with me, Mr. Mendelstein? Well, that wouldn't be professional of me if that were the case. I didn't question your professionalism, Mr. Mendelstein. I already know you're the best in town. I asked if you were flirting with me. Well, so much for playing coy... Three minutes into our little meaning and she'd seen right through me. Right through the linen suit. Maybe even a layer of polyester blend to boot. I won't try to convince you I don't find you attractive, Miss Boobinson. That would be a lie. And I never lie to prospective customers. Tends to make them less prospective. What kind of prospects are you after, Mr. Mendelstein? Well... Typically a cashier's check, but a personal check will do in a pinch, once it clears. And by the look that came across her mug just then, I was starting to put the pieces together. Ms. Boobinson wasn't precisely the rich mine of resources I'd been hoping for. Not in the conventional sense, anyway. 
I don't have much in the way of money, Mr. Mendelstein. In fact, my pendant is the most valuable thing I own. Or used to own before Marcus stole it from me. But I'm just so desperate. I'd do anything to get my pendant back. Anything. Terrible, awful things. Things that would get you executed in the Arab sphere, Mr. Mendelstein. Well, I'm no Arab, Miss Bubinson. And even if I had any stones up here, I'd be loath to chuck them at you. If you'd chuck me your services, Mr. Mendelstein, I'd be more than willing to chuck you some of mine. With this, she leaned over a bit to straighten the hem of her dress. Only her dress didn't need straightening, and it promptly lost a tit, and she seemed as loath to tuck it back as I'd be to hurl a rock at her. Just to clarify the terms here, Miss Bubinson, you're not proposing to dust the furniture or vacuum the office? Because that's not the type of suction I'm most in need of. Call me Babs, Mr. Mendelstein. And no, I've never been much for cleaning. In fact, when it comes to sexy detectives like yourself, I'm more apt to get a little messy. Well, since we're dropping the formalities and you've already got one tit out, you can call me Moish. And while you're at it, feel free to make things proportional on your end. This might surprise you, but I'm a proponent of Feng Shui. And I guess she was too, because she was out of that dress faster than you could say pro bono publico. And by that, I mean things this morning were looking to benefit the greater good. If not in the financial sense, then certainly in another. One I'm not sure how they say in Latin. But then, Latin was never one of those romance languages. So I laid it on thick, the only way I knew how. With some most utilitarian English. If those legs were any longer, I'd be worried your muff would get caught in the ceiling fan. Oh, but Mr. Mendelstein, you don't have a ceiling fan. Well, no wonder it never works when I turn it on. Oh, Moish, you're turning me on. With the type of erection I haven't seen since the Carter administration, playing coquettish was a tall order. I was out of my pilled linen pants so fast you could have had them dry cleaned and delivered back before the metaphorical ink was dry on our little contract. That's to say Moish Mendelstein was on the job, for the first time in quite a while, I might add, and in any context you care to put it. Fifteen minutes later, I was out the door. Might have been even less than that, I wasn't exactly checking my watch. Wisdom is lost on the youth, they say, but... For all my years, and as few as Miss Bubinson had amounted, she sure brought a few dishes to the table I'd never sampled before. And while I never kiss and tell, I'll say this much. I felt like an old Buick in a modern-day car wash. All the bells and whistles. Undercarriage cleaning included. And let me tell you, I wasn't sure I could look her in the face after all that, let alone kiss her on the lips. And of course, the aftermath. Certain elements tend to fall out of focus in the fog of war. Money, for example. Something I needed a whole lot more than an undercarriage cleaning. And with the battle now over, I can't say it had put any pasta on my plate. Or even a kosher franc in my bun, so to speak. But a deal was a deal. She'd done her job, so to speak, again. Now it was time for me to do mine. Marcus Cook Ex-boyfriend and alleged heart thief spent most of his time at Stex Gentleman's Club, a seedy hole-in-the-wall joint I happened to know well. And while I'd never tried myself, I was pretty sure you could get your Buick washed there too, if you had the means anyway. These days, I hadn't the means for a Genesee cream ale on tap. It was nice to show up with a clean Buick, in any case. I walked out into the cold and hailed a cab. Stex Bar was on the bad side of town. So was my office, coincidentally, so the ride was only about 27 seconds. I tipped the driver a generous 50% on the dollar I owed him and stepped out onto the sidewalk. A mysterious man in the moonlight, dark and dire in my rumpled linen. 
and the brown stain on my face which I'm sure only added to my mystique. Mystery and intrigue. It radiated from me like a spritz of Dakar Noir. Followed me through dark alleys, around shadowy corners, and into covert little doorways wherein men without names did their dirty business under the cover of night. Detective life. It's an esoteric thing. Where you been, Mendelstein? The bouncer said as I strolled to the door. I feel like I haven't booted your ass out of here in months. A little short on whiskey money these days, Dean. But that'll all change soon. I'm here on business, see? Looking for a fella named Marcus Cook. You seen him? I seen him, the hulking bouncer said. He tilted his head to indicate the man was inside at the bar. He ain't the one who rubbed shoe polish on your face, is he? I don't need any trouble in there, Mandelstein. No, oh, this? I waved a hand. Just a little dust-up with a Panamanian drug lord. Dean chuckled and stepped aside to let me in. Hey, two dollar Genesis on tap till 4.30. After that, I think there's some hand sanitizer in the restroom. Just don't hog it all, will ya? Very funny, I told him. Clever quips are just a small tool in my arsenal. I walked in. Stex bar was just as I remembered it. Dark enough to hide the stains, the blood, the vomit, the bodily secretions, but plenty bright where it mattered, around the greasy poles jutting from the stages. The place smelled like a mildewed gym sock, repurposed as a maxi pad and used in a pinch to soak up a spilled bean dip. That's to say, not too awful. Later, you could add farts from the very same bean dip. The steaming armpits of the dignified patrons bellied up to the bar, and the tangy reek of halitosis from every slack-jawed realtor, shoe salesman, and when the budget allowed, the occasional private detective. But not today. Today I was here on business, and with my butt cheeks still squelching like fresh windshield wipers, I made my way to the bar. There was no mistaking the man from his hairdo alone, and since you can't be with me here to see it, just imagine a rockabilly butt cut and let your mind fill in the blanks. Put a hand on his shoulder and he turned to face me, his eyes magnified behind his outdated domestic disturbance glasses. Get a seat in the back, mister. Don't think you're gonna go looking over my shoulder. I don't tolerate that shit. There's nothing here I haven't seen up close, Mr. Cook. And my eyesight's 20-20. I see it all. That's when he squinted to get a real close look at me. Who the hell are you? What's that shit on your face? You got that Michael Jackson disease? Pedophilia? Not on your life, Cook. I like my women the same way you do. Ripe and bodacious. Smelling like Pert Plus with a hint of Virginia Slims. Well, the guy was slow going in the way of fashion, but he picked up what I was putting down in an instant. What the hell is this about? A pendant, Mr. Cook. A heart-shaped pendant. And I think you know exactly to whom it belongs. I'm gonna ask you one more time. Who the hell are you? The name's Mendelstein, Private Eye. And since you insist on giving me the stink eye, booby, let me tell you something. I could easily be a cop. You should consider it a damn courtesy Ms. Boobinson wanted to keep this informal. He rolled that around a second before he said to me, Babs, huh? Yeah, a real courtesy. Man, she's got you fooled good, don't she? What'd she do? Eat your ass for you? Detective? I raised an eyebrow at that, something I'd carefully cultivated over the years. I don't know what you're talking about. Just fork it over now and we'll spare you the formalities. I'm sure the cops have better things to do than fill out your paperwork and make you bologna sandwiches three times a day. And you won't like your cellmate, Marcus. I put him away myself just this morning. And he'll have you twisting around his pole like Violet Moonbeam up there. Believe me. You're full of shit, Mendelwitz, he said. That's, uh, Mendelstein. You listen to me, booby. 
and he squeaked his stool around to face me now. For a private dick, you ain't so sharp. That girl ain't who you think she is. She's a menace. And I don't know what she told you, only that it's a lie. Because nothing that comes out of those sweet lips is the truth. Is that right? Well, Mr. Arbiter of Honesty and all that is moral and upstanding, why don't you tell me the truth then? And why should I, smart guy? Because you're so fucking polite? As the sole proprietor of Mendelstein Detective Agency, I was required to wear many hats, two of which comprised my good cop slash bad cop strategy. I changed the latter for the former. Look, maybe we got off on the wrong foot, I said. How about I buy you a drink and we'll talk this over? Besides, I think we've got more in common than you think. He agreed, somewhat reluctantly, and I squelched into a stool beside him and flagged down a waitress for a couple of drinks. These I'd add to my sprawling tab and write off his business expenses next April. Ms. Bubinson's pendant, according to her buzzing ex-boyfriend, was not a precious keepsake, but some kind of data collection device. A recorder, maybe. While he wasn't forthcoming about why or why not he'd object to being collected upon for data, I couldn't blame him for that, he was certain the way she'd come into his life was no coincidence. He'd seen her talking into it, he explained. Heard it make strange noises from time to time. And the last straw. He'd noticed she'd tuck it into a drawer or leave it in another room before they got cozy. It wasn't hard to put the pieces together after that. She was some kind of government agent, recruited for her enormous and magnetic cans and weaponized to investigate innocent civilians, although I had an inkling Marcus Cook was anything but innocent. So you did lift the pendant, I said. But why? I think you'd want to stay away from it, not take it with you. The fact that you're here alone proves my intuition was right, he said. Yeah, my lips got loose a few times. Tends to happen with a girl like that. But if the thing, the device, was transmitting everything, she wouldn't care about it so much, would she? So I grabbed it while she was sleeping and scrammed. Got rid of the thing. Now how'd you get rid of it? I asked. Are you listening to a word I'm telling you? Loud and clear, I said. And I was. And to be honest, I believed him. At least I believed he believed it. And I told him as much. I want to find out what this thing is, I said. Find out if your hunch was right. The plot thickens, huh? <laughs> but why? You said I'd been hoodwinked, I told him. I don't like that. Don't like it one bit. And besides, wouldn't you feel better knowing exactly what this thing is? What you've done or haven't done, that's none of my business. But I can promise you this. You help me figure out just what this thing is. I'll have it wiped cleaner than both of our asses. I've got people for that, you know. And I'll hand it back to Miss Bubinson empty. This way she's off my case, off your case, and everyone comes up roses but her. Whoever she's reporting to, well, she'll probably end up cleaning out her desk and spinning on that pole before you know it. We both glanced at the stage then. An aged lunch shift stripper whirled like a butterfly steak around the greasy pole. It looked like someone was playing tetherball with an Arby's Big Montana. I like it, he said. But how do I know I can trust you? I've been paid already, I said. Truth is, I'm just as much of a sucker as you. I can swallow that much. But here's what I can't stomach. I blow this job and I'm a failure. You go down on my account, and I'm a patsy. All I stand to earn by playing this her way is an enemy on the street, and the streets are where I operate. He soaked that in a minute, then nodded in a kind of pursed-lipped understanding. One street guy to another. I'm with you, Mendelbaum. Mendelstein, I said. 
while Cook's first inclination was to destroy it, the heavy gold pendant was too tempting to sell. He'd taken it to a neighboring town no one would suspect to look and pawned it. Two days ago, he told me. By my logic, it would still be there. If it was trackable, after all, Babs wouldn't have come to me in the first place. She'd have already bought it back with good old American taxpayer dollars. Buying it back myself was out of the question, of course, but one step at a time. One way or another, I'd have that heart, and my pressing questions answered. Debunked already. Old Mama Boobinson had nothing to do with it. There was no record of any Boobinson dying in the drink. In fact, the more I thought about it, the name itself seemed a kind of contrived alias lending to Babs's anatomy. To think, what kind of corny idiot would come up with something like that? In any case, Hacks, Cracks, and Pawn Shop was just the den of iniquity only a guy like Marcus Cook would know about. A broom closet door in an alleyway, stuck between a laundromat and some ambiguous storefront, that by the unreadable neon sign might offer Chinese takeout, lascivious massages, tarot readings, or all three for a bargain price. The kind of place you might find an ethnic pube in your low main and just treat it like another noodle, because it fits the milieu. No time for lunch in any case, I opened the door and went inside. The smell of microwave popcorn, tarnished pennies, and something else. Flintstones jewables? Can I help you? A man rose from behind the counter like some strange crustacean. Coke bottle glasses and a novelty baseball cap. It said, flexfiction.com. I made a mental note to check that out later. I sure hope you can, I said and approached the glass case that doubled as a front counter. Inside, on the walls, everywhere I looked, pure miscellany, if that is indeed a word. Pez dispensers, drug paraphernalia, vintage video games, a gallon of windshield washer fluid, and I'll be damned, a bottle of Flintstones chewables. And there, right next to it, a gold heart-shaped pendant on a gold chain and I understood right away why Cook couldn't bear to chuck it. Something like that could finance a good week's worth of Stex visits, VIP tours included. We're running a special today, the proprietor said. 50% off everything. Of course, nothing here was tagged with the price to begin with, and I was yet to establish this man's honor. This pendant here, I said. What would you take for it? Oh, bullshit! came a voice from another room. Aimbot! There's no way he could have hit me from there. I apologize for the language, sir. My associate is a very serious athlete. Training for the Fortnite World Championship, and like most globalized organizations, the whole affair is rife with corruption. Report player Aimbot, send. Fuck you. I understand, I said. Brian is one of the best, elite level, and the idea that some common gamer can download nefarious software crushed the dreams of a good American like him. It's analogous to the authoritarian takeover of this country, the Great Reset, Adrenochrome, the waving cats in Chinese restaurants, and it makes me sick. I see, I said. So, what would you take for it? For what? The... Pendant. Oh, right. That's $500. Half off from a thousand. Also, I do accept crypto. $500. I'm not sure why I even asked him. With a buck 47 burning a hole in my pocket, and enough lint there to make it a brush fire hazard. But with my new friend's set of anathemas, I thought I might have something else to seize on. Dollars. You don't strike me as the type who's motivated by dollars. By Federal Reserve notes, fiat currency, ink on sackcloth. I leaned in, gave him a sleuthy little look, one I've cultivated nearly as long as the eyebrow. You strike me as a skeptic and a patriot, and that's why I need your help. My sleuthy little look must have been compromised by the shoe polish stain on my face by the way he was looking at me, 
But finally, the intrigue broke through. I knew it would. Yeah, that's right. He regarded me with a fresh look now, one of kinship. The name's Mendelstein, Private Eye. We shook hands. I'm Leon. You might know me online as anarchist underscore crustacean. Do you need a napkin or something? With a little nod of his head, he indicated the ivory coast on my face. Maybe a horsehair brush if you've got one, though I might only be polished to a sheen. I know a man who's been kicked in the face when I see one. It's emblematic of all I stand for. So tell me, who are you and what is it you're really after? So I told him. Leaning into some details, leaning away from others. The meat of the matter. I had it on good authority, the pendant wasn't a pendant at all, but part of some covert government operation. I left out the detail of the Mark himself being the one who sold it to him, but emphasized the importance of keeping my discovery under wraps. Since we were wise to the tactics of whatever three-letter organization was behind this secret plot, it was imperative we allow them to continue. Otherwise, we bring undue attention to the resistance, of which, I assured him, we were both full-fledged members. So what's your plan, Mr. Mendelwitz? Mendelstein, I said. There are two parts to my plan, one above board and one under the table, so to speak. I'll need to return this pendant to the agent to avoid retaliation. But first, I mean to find out what it really is. He took the pendant from the glass case and set it on a felt pad with an eyeglass affixed, a tool to examine jewelry. Turning it in his hands, he studied every angle under magnification. Bingo, he said. What is it? My God, you're right. There's a seam along the circumference, very hard to detect. Solid gold might took us. There's something inside this thing. Upon further inspection, we found an almost imperceptible hole where a small needle could be inserted. An unlocking mechanism. Real slick. It's time to bring in the big guy. Listen, I can crack your phone, sideload your apps. I can overclock your Nintendo. Hell, I can even hack the library and clean up your overdue Harry Potter books. I'm no slouch in this dog show. But Brian, he's the prize poodle. Brian, hang it up for a minute. We've got business. Resistance business. What's your problem? I've got 20 kills and I'm on the move. Can't bush camp for long. Storm's coming. You can take the L on this one, pal. We've got a deep state surveillance device. Installed in a fancy pendant. Very crafty work. You're kidding. Let me see it. With the clatter of video game accoutrement and the great squeak of a chair... He entered the showroom. A Rubenesque specimen, this elite athlete. Sponsored by and clad in the pawn shop miscellany. If that is indeed a word. Brian got on top of the eyeglass and studied the pendant, front and back. Solid gold, my tukis. Well, it seems to me, this thing's probably right off of DARPA's new jewelry line. Tell me about it. He unfolded a leather envelope of delicate instruments selected one which looked like a needle and inserted it into the tiny hole. With a faint click, the mechanism released its heart-shaped shell. Inside, a vast array of doodads. These he examined, scrutinized one by one, whispering technical terms to Leon. What do you make of it? A recording device. Can we hear what's on it? <laughs> Who do you think you're dealing with here? Brian said. Shouldn't be AFK more than a few minutes to crack this puppy. Probably get killed by some default rando. This is resistance business, Brian. Keep your head in the game. Awesome loadout and everything, he muttered, but obediently carried the pendant to the back room. For the few minutes Brian worked his magic, Leon regaled me with tales of the resistance and how he'd evaded capture. His travails on social media, suspensions, bans and deep knowledge, more esoteric even than detective work. So, what was that earlier about the waving cats in Chinese restaurants? Satellite arrays. Every cat in every restaurant collecting data and transmitting it to the CCP. 
the waving paws collecting radar data. You can eat lunch in one of those joints, and Xi Jinping is looking right up your ass. You can count on it. He can count the sesame seeds on your orange duck. And our intelligence agencies? What are they doing about this? The feds? The G-men? They're eating takeout in a giant Faraday bunker, thinking they're safe. But the Chinese are right in there with them, with double eyelid surgeries and lifts in their shoes. This place next door, you worried about them? Chinese kitchens are plated with steel for a reason. We're as insulated from them as they are from us. That's why you keep your friends close and your enemies closer, Mendelwitz. Plus, their lo mein is banging. Ah, it's uh, Mendelstein, by the way. You guys, it's worse than I expected. What is it, Brian? I've parsed the data from the device. It points to something very disturbing. He stretched a length of dot matrix printer paper over the counter and we leaned in to read it. This Marcus Cook of yours, he's no angel. It appears he has tendencies toward inebriation. Look at line 74. Here's where he let it slip. All right. November 4th, 9.45 p.m. Following coercion procedure, subject confirmed involvement in Project Magnageddon? Oh my god. What? What is it? You really don't know, do you? Well, no. You don't have to make me feel like an idiot. I'll put it as simply as I can, Mr. Mendelstein. I understand you're a normie, and probably not much of a Jew either. Most Jews don't have shoe polish on their face. Hey, you should see the other guy, alright? Listen, Project Magnageddon is a secret operation bent on hijacking the Jewish space laser. What? He's right, Mendelstein, Leon said, dragging a finger down the line of data as he read. And I'm afraid it gets worse. Unthinkable, Brian said. Not until now have I understood the depths of their depravity. I'll say it in no uncertain terms. What they've got in the works is a kind of aimbot for the Jewish space laser. Hey, hey, slow down. I've seen this guy, you understand. He couldn't operate a laser tag pistol. So what's this you're talking about? With a tool like this, they could carry out their ultimate plan. Reverse the magnetic polarity of the Earth. Bring about the end times. The sun will micronova, killing 80% of all life on the planet. The crust of the Earth will detach from the mantle and spin like an old wizard toy. Real field temperatures that'd raise Willard Scott from the grave. Turn Al Roker white as a ghost. It'll be... Armageddon. Well... If there's one thing I learned in all my years as a private detective, it's this. If the truth were easier to come by, they wouldn't need detectives in the first place. That said, hearing honesty for once was not something to take lightly. What do we have to do to stop this? I said. As much as I distrust the feds, Mendelstein, even the globalists need a planet to live on. You need to get this back to the agent right away. We'll hash out our differences later. For now, we've got a planet to save. Copy that, I said, and Brian handed me back the pendant, free of charge. W one more thing, said Leon. He went under the counter and produced a crude-looking gun. He sat it on the felt like a precious piece of jewelry. Whoa, I said. I haven't carried a piece since the Carter administration. Not looking to start now. It's a spud gun, Leon said. I can't tell you it's clean. I can't tell you it's not. But I'm going to leave this here. And the one thing I will tell you, it smarts. Really smarts. He pushed back from the counter. The kind of body language he might as well have stuffed the thing down the front of my pants. And since I didn't want him to do that, I relented. I picked it up. Heavy. Spring-loaded. Big caliber. Muzzle-packed tight with a brown russet. I tucked it into my pants. May it serve you well, brother, Leon said. It's up to you now.
I started to walk out, but something odd was needling me, and I turned around by the door. What was that earlier about? Coercion procedure? These agents are trained to get what they need. They all have their tricks and talents. Techniques they use to fool idiots into doing what they want them to do. Usually something they're really good at. Hmm, I said. I turned and went out the door. I put a dime in the payphone. When that didn't work, I put a few more dimes in the payphone. Of course, the payphone didn't work at all, so I gave my last dollar to a homeless guy down the street who let me borrow his iPhone. It smelled really bad. Hello? Miss Bubinson. I believe I have what you're after. Oh, thank God. Can I meet you at the office? Be there in an hour. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Mendelstein. I'm on my way right now. I thanked the homeless guy for his kindness and got on my way. I let her keep her act going, for now, for a little while. Sure, we were both serving a higher purpose here, but I'd be damned if I was going to let her think her coercion procedure did the trick on me. Not a man of my mystery and intrigue. Not Moish Mendelstein. I know they say pride goes before a great fall, but I think I'm pretty well into winter. And if I make it till spring, well, that'd be something. I made it back to the office with ten minutes to spare, freshened up with a little spray deodorant, and sat down at my desk and thought about things. Thought about why I, a Mendelstein, had not been made privy to this space laser gadget. It was no wonder, of course, but like all things in this vein, I'd make a little time to ruminate about it. This gino I was, not Jewish enough to be part of the club. Maybe I should change my identity, I thought. Maybe call myself Bill, or Frank, or Bert. Bert Reynolds. A knock on the door shook me from my reverie. No mistaking the bobbing silhouette in the glass. I waited a moment so she would think I was busy, then got up and let her in. I know I mentioned not being able to look her in the face again earlier, but I had no trouble with that after all. I could probably kiss her on the lips, too. At the sight of her, I found myself hoping for another round of coercion therapy, or whatever she called it. Mr. Mandelstein, I'm so happy to see you. You have the pendant? I gestured for her to come inside and I shut the door, produced the pendant from my pocket with a little flourish to delight her. Oh, Mr. Mendelstein, I can't thank you enough. My mother must be smiling down from heaven right now. We can can the act, lovely Miss Bubinson. I am a detective, remember? There's nothing beyond my powers of detection. I see through all, darling. Stone, steel, polyester. I gave her a sleuthy once-over from head to toe. She grinned. What's your real name, Babs Bubinson? Quite contrived. She slid a bit closer to me and leaned on the desk, matching and modeling me. You're right, of course. It's Dottie. Dottie Bubinson. I allowed a kind of knowing eye roll, but I kept it cute. I should have known you'd uncover the truth, Moish. But you understand, a girl like me needs to leverage her strengths to get what I need and I needed a Jew. Well, sure there were plenty of those in the bureau, I knew that. But I knew what she meant. A Jew who didn't mind getting his hands dirty. Had a little hitch in his step, a little dirt under his fingernails. A Jew who could slip into the dark underbelly of society and nestle there like a little marsupial. In essence, a dirty Jew. Like me? A little racist when you think about it, but who am I to judge? Sitting there, taking in Miss Bubinson like a plate of chilled gefilte fish. The expensive kind. Painting her with the same broad brush with which she'd painted me. And hoping to paint her again with a much, much narrower one. Truth is, Mr. Mendelstein, Moish, we could use a man like you on the bureau. I'm sure that's true, Miss Bubinson. Same as your old pal's organization could have used me for his purposes. 
there's a lot about me you don't understand. Wouldn't understand. Shouldn't understand. I'm afraid I don't understand, Mr. Mendelstein. I'm a loner, Dottie. A rebel. With that, the closet door flew open, and out stepped a man with a gun. And you guessed it. A rockabilly butt cut and big brass glasses. Cook! Think I don't know what you're up to, Mendelbaum? It's Mendelstein, and the feeling's mutual, bubby. In fact, I knew you were in there. And while we're at it, you can can that tough guy voice and show your best gal here who you really are, huh? Well, maybe I didn't really know he was in there, but my other suspicion would soon be confirmed. You are smarter than you look, Mendelstein. And there it was. From behind the blepharopasty and the voice coaching and the insoles and whatever else the Red Commies did to create this Marcus Cook, the real man emerged. Dottie shifted, but her tits gave her away. In an instant, the gun was on her. He could hit us both in two shakes of a Peking duck's ass. But smart doesn't make you bulletproof. That's pretty clever there, Marcus. Or whatever the hell you're called. Why don't you put that gun down and we'll play around a scrabble, huh? Give me the pendant. This time, I will dispose of it properly. And then, I will dispose of you. Oh, this? I said, dangling the pendant by its chain. That's all you want? Here, go get it yourself. You know, maybe I'm not as smart as Mr. Peking Duck accused me of, but sometimes intuition is what carries the day. That's why I have no idea why I did what I did. I'd like to tell you it made sense at the time, but that wasn't really the case. I just kind of did it. I flung the pendant into Dottie's cleavage, and it went right between them. And it was that precious millisecond of evocation, that imagery of object landing between boobs, that took his attention off of me and allowed me to pull my piece. That old potato cork hit him square in the kneecap, and he dropped the gun. Without hesitation, Dottie snatched it up and turned it on him. She flipped open a phone and tossed it to me. I caught it. Ooh, that smarts! Speed dial, number one, she said. And don't even think about moving, Marcus. Or whatever your name is. I called, and before we knew it, my quaint little office was crawling with feds. And they drug off old Marcus by his belt and collar. Way I see it, he'll get lots of attention where he's going. Not Steck's VIP treatment, but plenty of questions to answer, and no less than three bologna sandwiches a day. When things simmered down at the office, Dottie stayed behind for a more friendly goodbye. Sure, we'd only known each other for a day, and sure, it had been no more than business between us. But when it all comes down to it, when a man lies supine on his desk with his knees behind his ears for a lady there's an unavoidable connection that forms between them. Not one that can be resolved with a handshake and an empty, see you later, good pal. You know, Moish, I meant what I said earlier, about you being the best in town. You are very good at what you do. Your lips to God's ears, I said. I've met more modest men. Dottie, Babs. You don't become the man I am by being modest. You become Moish Mendelstein by... not being much at all. By being unexceptional. Not fitting in with one group or any other. By slinking through the streets, a nobody. A ghostly presence. Like an ephemeral mist. You may smell it when you walk by, but... never for long. Before you know it, I'm gone. That's why no mystery eludes me, Dottie. I am the mystery. Sounds depressing the way you put it. Yeah, it is. Might I coerce you into a different view of things? I'd like to say I considered that a moment, but I'm not exactly aware how short a moment is 
and I am sure I didn't make it that long. You're good at what you do too, Dottie. I should be. I was trained by the Bureau. I pictured what that must have looked like. Almost asked her, in fact. But I didn't. Because out of all that ugliness, it was laid in my lap to save the planet and all its inhabitants. Moish Mendelstein, private eye, public hero. Maybe I'll make it to spring after all. But tonight, gonna get some low mane. Hey, you think Drew's getting any action in the can? <laughs> uh, no, but by in the can, I meant, you know, in jail, not in the ass. Well, then again, eh, forget it. A little about the author. I'm Jeff. Pleasure. You can find plenty of me on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Audiobooks I've authored at flexfiction.com. I've got this novel on there called Bump. I can't sell the fucking thing. Take a chance. I'd appreciate it. And most notably, of course, I produce this show each week with my dear friend Drew. And we both appreciate you sincerely. Subscribe to this podcast, if you would, and leave a review. Anything between five and five stars is perfect. You know, I just read a two-star review. Some lady thought we were offensive. Well, I'm sure this episode will help. And please check out our whole lineup of shows, including Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, hosted by the inimitable Steve Taylor. Scary Stories Told in the Dark, hosted by, sometimes imitated Otis Gyre. I'm not your grandfather. Ha <laughs> ha! Horror Hill, hosted by the talented Eric Peabody. And of course, Fear from the Heartland, with your host, Paul J. McSorley. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click the Patrons link at the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month. Get access to our entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there. You'll get updates and releases and have the chance to interact with us. You'll find Drew on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter, I understand. And you'll find me on Facebook. Happy to have you. Submissions. We're accepting them. Authors, send your stories to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, 10 bananas. Well... I'm afraid this is where we part ways, friend. At least till next week. So grab a drink for the road. Grab all you want. They're Drew's. I didn't pay for them. I'd like to thank listener MC for scaring me with that Micronova shit. At least I got a little story element out of it. Michelle. So may the wind be at your back. And may the road rise up to meet you. The big guy will be back next week. Until then... Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.